This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is Friday, it's the 1st of March 2024, a brand new month. Coming up, all the news with Grace and the story of how an app came to be. But it's the developer we're focusing on today. All that on today's Double Tap. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Stephen Scott. Pinch punch to you. Oh, stop all this garbage about pinch punch first of the month. It's just such absolute garbage. No one says it. You're making Whack. a fool of yourself Whack. and the double tap team. Wow. I should have supervision done for this month. <laughs> <laughs> There's my review written. I'm very, very sorry. I'll try and do better, sir. Thank you. <sighs> hey, listen, uh, just to say, uh, and I do have to say this at the top of the show, it's important I say this, uh, because today's show, it does feature an interview which will uh, and, and does contain uh, the subject of suicide. I want to let people know that right up front because it is going to be a tough topic today. Tough conversation, actually, as we meet Zach Tidwell. Now, he is someone who is uh, blind himself, uh, blinded by his own admission, he blinded himself um, by uh, attempting to commit suicide. We'll hear a story today, which you might think, well, okay, what's this got to do with tech? But it kind of leads into his development world, how he got into the world of app development and began creating apps. And then one of those apps won an award last year from AppleViz. It's an incredible story. So we're going to delve into that uh, later today. We're going, to, we're going to cut our first segment a little bit short so we can get to Zach's story in the second half of the show. But um, before we get to that, I want to talk about tech. I know it's unusual. I know breaking news on this show. Where's my button? Breaking news. Breaking news. Oh, well, I haven't you. heard that in a while, I don't think. No. Well, it's, nice. it's, not, it's not really applicable, though, is it? Let's be honest. Well, actually, to be honest, what, there is a say? lot of tech. <laughs> exactly, that's right. Yet. I was just going to tell you that we're going to talk about tech, but okay, we can we can actually talk about it because there is a story that is kind of breaking news this week, and that is the Apple Car development or not story, oh, as the I case may be. I, I don't know this one. Okay, this is breaking news to me. Go on. Yeah, well, do you know it's one of these weird stories because all the reports are that Apple have stopped development of a car, which they never announced, which they never told any of us they were actually working on. <laughs> there was never any uh, Apple never announce anything about this stuff. They never confirm any of this. But this, the rumours are, and this must be coming from inside the company and sources within, that the teams that were working on a car project, I know they do car play, and they obviously have been working on the uh, UI for an in-car system. That's been clear because they've been working on that for a while and they've, they've made you know endless well, they've shown endless technology around that, and, and it is implemented in a number of cars at the moment. But the idea of an actual car is something that was never confirmed by Apple, but apparently was in planning. That has now gone south. They've decided to pull all of their uh, team off that and move them into machine learning, which is interesting. Because then you think to yourself, okay, so what are we doing here? So we're moving away from the car. Okay, fair enough. Maybe it was too big a project or unlikely to see any kind of major uh, fruition for a while. Whereas clearly there's a need for Apple to invest in machine learning and invest essentially, as they call it, machine learning. The rest of us call it AI. <laughs> yes. 
And um, I, I wonder if that's where perhaps the, the need has come to, to move. Maybe something's changed, something's happened. Seems like a rather quick and odd decision for Apple to make. They're not a company, we were saying this recently, they're not a company to move quickly on things or make major no. change. Or maybe internally they are, I don't know. That's the problem, we don't really know what goes on in there. Well, we don't know the roadmap, right? Oh, pun Oh, that was, that's very Thank good, you. actually. Yeah. We don't know the okay. roadmap. I like that. <laughs> You're a hero, has this, has this been in place for, you know five years, ten years. Um, who knows how forward-looking they are? I, I, I suspect they are very forward-looking and they already mm. know that, that where they're going to be um, uh, placing their ducks in a row here. I, I never really bought into the Apple car thing. I, it just seems so, I don't know, ridiculous, to be quite honest with you. But, hey, being Apple, you never know what sector they're going to move into or at least try, but car manufacturer at least that seems really outlandish to me but hey ho uh, hey, never listen, know. if you'd if you'd said to me 10 years ago they were going to move into essentially ski goggles with a computer inside i'd have said yeah uh, well, right. vr is still in the same realm as computing right spatial computing vr i can totally get that but uh, yeah it just seems so strange to me to go that but machine learning and ai of course that 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 is just across the board. That isn't just self-driving, which is where I suppose you could say the real interest in, in AI started from. But it just impacts every single aspect of every single other device, product, service that they, they're going to offer. So it makes total sense that maybe they form a larger team around machine learning. And maybe in there, there is subsets about self-driving. I, yeah, I still don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think they're they're... They're way behind on that, unless they pull something out which is truly staggering and almost a universal AI that can turn its hand to absolutely anything. All mm. these test miles that other companies like Waymo have already got under their belt and Google, um, what's the other one called? I've forgotten. Oh, the other one's gone, isn't it? Anyway, all these other uh, self-driving cars. Cruise you're thinking of. You cruise, know? that's yeah. what I was thinking of. Uh, that that they've, they've got millions and millions of actual real-time miles under their belt. Is there any way to catch up with that? I don't know. I, I, just I, don't, I think there's I a shift. I think there's a shift coming. Uh, and I think that what a lot of these companies are realizing, and we've seen it from Rabbit, we've seen it from Humane, we're seeing it from OpenAI to some degree. I think we're seeing a change in the, the way that we look at operating systems, the way that we look at apps, the way we look at everything. I, I think all of this is going to change in a big way in the next five, ten years, I mean, certainly in the next five, you know, looking out, I think we'll see the kind of true finished products in ten years. But what I mean by that is that the idea right now of having a, a computer, you know, with an interface that is, you know, complicated, that's confusing, that, you know, like I think about something like Adobe Photoshop, the first time I ever opened that app up years ago, just thinking... Uh, what what yes. do I do with this? Any software package things. you open up now is well, like, yeah, where exactly. do I start? Yes. I think you, you can, can you imagine just changing all of that into natural language, just making it so that you just say, okay, do you know what? Add a circle here or remove that from there. You know, I, I, that is where it's going. And I think that will fundamentally change how apps and everything else are developed. It's going to actually make it more, well, hopefully more accessible because if everything has to be spoken back or made available with text back, um, then everything suddenly becomes accessible overnight, right? In a weird way. We no longer will have a discussion about accessibility, I think, in 10 years because everything just will be naturally accessible. Now, of course, what I say naturally accessible, I'm not saying fully accessible because 
that debate rages on. What is accessible to me might not be to someone else. You and I were, were talking to um, Google, uh, Google's Christopher Patno, yes. Zero Project. That conversation's coming up on Monday, by the way. You'll hear that conversation we had with him. And he kind of picked you up because you were talking about the Amazon Echo. And you're like, I mean, every time, as soon as we saw it, we're like, yeah, this is totally accessible. And he said, yeah, if you can hear. But if you're deaf, it was a doorstop. Yeah. And that was just a really, and of course, this is the thing that I'm starting to pick up on more and more is that, you know, what, what is accessible? What is fully accessible? And I think that AI in itself might not be the answer, but I think it's what the interfaces will become that will become the answer. I think that's the closest we can see there. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Now, in the car sense, this is kind of where I wonder, and we're all just we're all just grasping at straws here because no one knows what's going on inside Apple. But I do think there's a case for an Apple car because I think what is going to happen is, you know, there was a lot of time, if you think back, I mean, when would you ever think that Apple would get into the world of phones? Right? I mean, just think about that. You know, there was a time when people would say, well, what has Apple got to do with phones? That's not their area. I remember even having the conversation with someone, you know, how's that going to work? You know, because Apple isn't a telecoms company. How are they going to build a phone? You know, and now we're, we're uh, totally can, on board with that. I can and now, still see the link. I can yeah, see well, the link it's between... technology, but that's, but that's the point, because what it's because of what it became, right? So people saw a phone in those days as a phone, as that was its primary function. But what is going to happen with cars is the same that is what happened to the phone, that you're going to move on from this. You're going to move away from this idea that it's a, a vehicle that you know you use to get from point A to point B. It's going to become a, an entertainment experience. It's going to become a shopping experience because you're not driving. You don't have anything to do. I, so they're I going totally to create experiences saying. in the... Do you, do you know what I mean? It's going to become a UI of its own, essentially. And I think well, that's almost, when things get interesting. It's almost like it's shifting... Um, it, it's Does it's gears? area. It, it's <laughs> it's platform. <laughs> it's it's almost like uh, so. Cars has always been about manufacture industry. It's always already always been about engineering, but now it seems to be shifting over to more tech space, more technology orientated rather than the actual engineering side of things. How you know the the reason that Tesla's been so. Um, taken up on is not because of its amazing build quality quite the opposite in fact in a lot of cases is because of the tech that's in mm -hmm. this thing that's really what's captured the imagination of everyone and um yeah there could be an argument that now cars automobiles have be become now a tech device rather than anything you know engineering and that's where apple comes in and i think it's almost a long-term project for apple anyway because it was something that perhaps had to come in and probably would only come in when all the regulations and legislation that was required to bring these cars onto the road was finalised. That still seems like a long way off. We're not there yet. We're not there for driverless cars. I mean, yes, there's pockets you know, of, of work going on in different parts. We know about Phoenix, Arizona, and the wonderful stuff that's going on there, reporting by our own Greg Hayes, who gets in touch with us regularly, has told yep. us the interesting, exciting stuff that's going on. But that's not universal yet. And we're a long way off that, I think. I don't know how long, but... This is down to governments. This is down to governments and countries and legislations and regulations that will change from place to place, that will be different from place to place. And I think that it, it all depends on how quickly all that moves. And it's not likely to move fast because it's government, right? Yeah. So I think maybe they've decided, okay, let's move away from the car for the moment. It's not like the work they've done will, will be useless. They may implement some of that learning. And maybe they think that the 
interface is more important than perhaps the uh, the physical vehicle at this point. And maybe that's why they've moved away from that. So I find this, this is quite absolutely interesting. true, by the way. It's all about the software. I mean, the, the cars are just somewhere to nail on the cameras and the sensors. That's it. It's all I mean, what is an electric the car these days? There's very little in it anymore. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the technology inside these cars is the technology. You know, it's, it's, yep. it's a, there's a brain in there. There's a processor. You know, I can almost see the day coming when Apple say, well, you know, we're just about to launch the M23 processor for the Apple car version 4. You know, <laughs> get your updates now, you know. or I, I, Those kind of days will come, you know, like we see the updates for everything else. And uh, that'll yeah, be pretty cool. Maybe. And, of course, that will be the faster, better, and uh, much more improved. And, in fact, best car they will have ever sold. We've ever made. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We need a new jingle. We need breaking rumour. Where are the news? news? I, I, no, it's not news. That's, that's rumours. There's no official line on this. Never I'm picking you up on that, Stephen Scott. I'm sorry. I'll tell you one thing that we do know. Tim Cook did say that there was going to be, uh, and this is him teasing again for, uh, I think he must have heard us talking uh, because he's spoken out about this and saying that, uh, you know, clearly because of us, he yeah. um he said that uh, the, this is the year for generative AI, huge advances coming. I think oh. they, he has to say this, doesn't he? I think this is about keeping shareholders happy as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Of course, they must be getting so jittery round about now, any shareholders about, okay, we, we seem to be being left way behind. But again, we always say this about Apple. When, 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 never the first, right? But they always watch the space and then bring out something that really wows us. Yeah, Hopefully. absolutely. Um, okay, loads more to talk about, but uh, let's get to some of the other headlines. Grace Scofield's here with the rest of the week's news. Thanks, guys. Sony says it's laying off around 900 employees of its PlayStation division, a reduction of its global headcount of around 8%. Sony's layoffs will impact a variety of its PlayStation studios, including Insomniac Games, Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games, and Fire Sprite. Sony's layoffs are the latest in a wave that has been impacting the gaming and tech industries throughout 2024. Several PlayStation studios are affected, with the company closing its London studio in the UK, which developed PlayStation VR games. Sony's Fire Sprite studio, which is also impacted, is the British studio behind PlayStation VR's Horizon Call of the Mountain game. The layoffs come just days after Sony missed a PS5 sales target which led to Sony's stock price plummeting by $10 billion. While the PS5 outlook wasn't what Sony was expecting, analysts also pointed toward a near-decade-low games margin, suggesting that the cost of making games is eating into Sony's gaming margins. Netflix is severing ties with the Apple's App Store billing system. The streaming giant stopped allowing new and rejoining subscribers to sign up with the App Store billing back in 2018 but Netflix subscribers who were paying through Apple at the time were allowed to continue doing so. However, that is finally about to change. As reported by The Streamable, Netflix has started notifying people who currently pay for a subscription through Apple that they need to update their payment method to continue accessing the service. Netflix's support website has also been updated to acknowledge this change. The company doesn't explicitly say which countries the change applies to, but the change was made first to its United States support website. 
The WebAIM Screen Reader User Survey has released its findings this week, showing a growing use of the NVDA screen reader among PC users, and iOS remaining the top smartphone of choice for respondents. JAWS maintained its position as the primary desktop and laptop screen reader for 40.5% of survey respondents, despite experiencing a slight drop in usage in favor of NVDA, which now serves as the primary tool for 37.7%. Interestingly, the preference for screen readers varies geographically, with JAWS leading in North America and Australia, while NVDA finds its stronghold in Europe, Africa and the Middle East, and Asia once again outpacing JAWS in overall usage. VoiceOver's usage remains steady at 9.7%. Mobile device accessibility is also following a significant trend, with 91.3% using screen readers on such devices, led by VoiceOver at 70.6%. The survey also highlighted CAPTCHA as the most significant barrier faced by users pointing to the ongoing challenges in balancing security and accessibility. Over 1,500 people took part in the study, which was conducted between December 2023 and January 2024. Leading assistive technology company Vispero is inviting people who are blind or have low vision to participate in an important survey aimed at improving the restaurant experience for visually impaired diners. This initiative seeks opinions from those who have navigated dining in or ordering takeout to better understand the accessibility challenges for restaurant goers. The feedback gathered will guide restaurant owners, technology developers, and policymakers towards creating more inclusive dining environments. Find a link to the survey on our website, doubletaponair.com. And finally, for those of us excited by Meta's recent Ray-Ban Stories glasses, there's now talk of a pair of augmented reality smart glasses being shown off by the company later this year. Citing unnamed Meta sources, a Business Insider report claims that Meta plans to demo a pair of true AR smart glasses later this year at its annual Meta Connect event. Internally known as Orion, these are a separate product from the recently launched Ray-Ban Meta Smart Glasses and its MetaQuest headsets. According to reports, what makes these Orion glasses true AR devices is the fact that they're supposed to be more technologically advanced with a visual element. However, that's all we know so far. The report suggests that there's a lot of internal pressure at Meta to have a high-quality demo and that some company insiders have been experimenting with advanced prototypes. That's your Double Tap News for this week. I'm Grace Scofield. Thank you, Grace. That's an interesting one. I've just got the Meta Rebands, and now they're going to bring out something else. Better ones. That's always the way with technology. <laughs> yes, but AR, so you have to assume that that means the visuals in the lenses themselves that are more able to overlay digital visual content over the real world. So would we even be as interested in those anyway? Depends what it offers. I mean, the, th the thing we have to remember with Meta is they're not promising accessibility here. So this is not an Envision glasses update or something. No, this no, isn't. No. Uh, you, this is the only problem, you know. I mean, we've seen it already with the Meta Ray-Bans, as good as they are, and I, I know I'm very impressed by them. Uh, in terms of audio quality, if nothing else, I, I sometimes find there's a little bit of a lag. I also find sometimes they fall asleep and they don't always wake up. So I, I sometimes Sounds have like no me. voiceover at all. Yeah, exactly. Just like you. I get no response asleep, whatsoever for like 10 minutes. I told Sarah to buy those today because she mm -hmm. was looking at my Oho Sunshine. Hello. And uh, she liked those. And you know what? 
she went with the Oho Sunshine because of the price. And let me just say this, this could be very, very temporary, but they're at the minute, I noticed that on Amazon, if you go to the Oho store, 50% off. Um, so she did just buy a pair of Oho Sunshines. So, Oho um, indeed. Oho, she did like those. Yes, £25 instead of 50 So very nice. Good price, decent, uh, very comfortable. Uh, I mean, they just I think I bought the wrong size because there was a difference in sizes. You've got to check that out if you're buying them, especially from Amazon, because sometimes you go into one product and they won't show you any options. You have to kind of dig around to find the other options. So if there yes. is a larger or bigger size, you have to kind of go search for it. But uh, I think they're really good. I mean, look, do I think they're as good as the Metas? No, but then the price is hugely different. So what do you hugely expect? Hugely different. Yeah, I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear them on the plane. I will say. So they're not yeah. particularly loud. But out and about, absolutely fine. So yes, they're fine for a voiceover. You know, they are. Well, this what they is are the, for the price, but they're nice. I I can hear my Metas on the plane, and I could hear my uh, out and about. I could hear everything fine. Problem is, so could everyone else. Yes, yes. So, yes, yes, yes. you know, you've got to weigh it up, right? You've got to weigh these things up. But I, I think it's it's interesting to see this develop. Um, I do, I think you said this the other day, I think the Metas are the new Bose frames for blind people. Oh, but I, I would I, definitely get some if I could. If I Once could the Meta the AI, yeah, exactly. But if the Meta AI comes, and I really hope it does soon, I, I think that's going to, wow, yeah. I mean, absolutely. The, th- the thing is that I would love to see Envision or Be My Eyes get a chance to connect into these. And I know the conversations are ongoing. I have a feeling it's just going to be one day we're going to get a call from one of these companies saying, hey, we've got some news. Uh, and it was, inter- it was interesting, actually, because Karthik Karnan said to us in that interview, Karthik uh, from Envision, he did say that they have some news coming up at CSUN. So we're going to be watching that with interest in the next couple of weeks. I hope so, so much. But like Colin Hughes said in his um, interview, his episode, I don't think Meta know what they've got. I'm hoping they no. realise pretty quickly what what a difference these could make, but it doesn't look that way. I actually heard this from an industry insider who said this. He said, you know, I don't think uh, it was, this wasn't someone who worked at Meta, but he said Meta were kind of surprised. They were kind of caught off guard by how well this product took off. And it's kind of made them take it more seriously themselves, you know. It's a bit like the Apple TV, I think. You know, people are like, people like this thing? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I no. think from an accessibility point of view, uh, I don't think Meta realise at all what a difference this. No, could no be they don't realise the potential, do they? No, no. Uh, listen, just a quick note before we uh, move on. The uh, Ability Summit is next week. We'll be talking with Hector Minto next week to get a sense of what's coming up. Some big conversations at Ability Summit. AI, of course, at the forefront of that. A couple of weeks' time is CSUN. We will be bringing you coverage from the event and uh, finding out all about it ahead of time as well with a representative from CSUN on the show. Very exciting. Uh, I think that's the first time we've ever had anyone from CSUN on the show, so that's great. Uh, That is coming up in the next uh, week or two, Uh, so lots to get to. But up next, a conversation which uh, we had this conversation, Zach Tidwell and I spoke a couple of weeks back, and uh, this is your chance to hear our conversation about his story. That on the way next here on Double Tap. And don't forget, of course, you can find out all about what we do on our website. All the audio is there. You can go back and listen to it at uh, doubletaponair.com. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. 
Call the Double Tappers now, 1-877-803-4567, or email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Now, the following story does contain references to suicide, so please be aware of that. The story of Zach Tidwell is an interesting one. You might think that recognition by AppleViz for his app Xanagrams would be a major headline. You might think that being a blind developer makes a good headline. But actually, it's the story of how Zach became blind that's the bigger story here. Zach joined me from his home in Colorado to share how wanting to end his life led him to rebuilding it entirely. I was a machine gunner and I deployed twice, but I did not see combat. But I was exposed to a lot of repetitive blasts being very close to them um, as a breacher and in a combined anti-armor team. So there's missiles going off <laughs> and all that stuff, um, breaching around explosive rounds, like ordnance to breach through doors and walls, grenades, all that stuff. And those repetitive impacts aren't great for your brain. But actually, while I was on my second deployment, I found out that my now ex-wife was cheating on me. And so I came back and tried to make things work and they didn't. So we eventually split ways. And then I, in March of 2018, which was just a few months before I got out, I was in a really bad motorcycle accident and had a very, very severe traumatic brain injury from it. And things spiraled after that. And so that was actually the first time that I ever started to struggle with alcohol. And I mean, it went downhill pretty quickly, but I was still in the Marine Corps. So I was having to, you know, get up and go to work every day. And it's a very physical job. So I was still taking care of myself physically during the day. It was just every night I was getting hammered. And I was really struggling. I couldn't sleep. And that's part of the reason that I was drinking was when I did get that drunk, I could fall asleep and not lay in bed awake thinking about what had happened or, you know, wake up in the middle of the night thinking about what had happened. And also was using that as a coping mechanism, obviously not a good one, but, you know, I was, I was self-medicating with alcohol. And so I, like I said, that motorcycle accident was in March of 2018. I got out of the Marines in August of 2018, and then March of 2019 is when I shot myself. So it was kind of a, a bad combination of things and bad timing of things, along with me not reaching out for help and trying to self-medicate and just kind of grit my teeth through it instead. And to put it bluntly, I mean, you were trying to end your life, right? I mean, that was it for you. Yeah. So I. I was going to college. I wanted to be an ER nurse. So I was going to college and working at a local hospital on a cardiac stroke unit at the time. And school and work was going well. It was just, again, every any time that I was outside of work, like it just, I was so apathetic about everything by that point. <clears throat> and it's kind of crazy. Like every time that I think back to kind of where I was at that point, especially not realizing that I had gotten that bad, you know, when I was in it, I, I had, there's a lot of red flags looking back that I should have seen. And I just didn't because I, I was in such a low spot, but I've always been very active and you know, I would get up 
usually around four in the morning to work out in the mornings, just kind of going through the motions either before school or work. And then on weekends, I was always, I was a big snowboarder and motocross rider. And on my days off, you know, I would drive because I live in Colorado. So the Rocky Mountains are here. It's like a two hour drive for me to, to get up to world-class skiing terrain and I would get all my stuff, get up super early, go all the way up to the mountains, like kind of trying to force myself to get out of the house, you know, outside of work and school. And I'd get there, be like, I, I don't want to be here and sit in the parking lot for a little bit and then turn around and drive all the way back home. And same thing with my dirt bike, you know, in the, in the, that summer um, when I first got out, I would load all my gear up drive a couple hours to a racetrack, pay to get into the racetrack and unload all my gear and go do a lap and be like, gosh, I don't want to be here. I just want to go lay in bed or whatever. I just, I didn't want to do anything. And again, I didn't realize it at the time, but like that I, that apathy for everything, um, just wasn't getting joy out of anything and uh, continued to drink Again, I was being productive, so from the outside looking in, like things were okay. And my parents were actually at my house the day before I shot myself with my two younger sisters. So I'm 28. I have a 17 year old sister and an almost six year old sister. They were at my house the day before and thought I seemed grumpy, but that was it. And at that point, I had actually I made up my mind a couple days before that that I was going to kill myself. You, you knew this was it. Yeah, I, I knew that I had already made up my mind. So the next day I tried. Um, it was my concealed carry firearm, and I shot myself right between the eyes because that's where we were trained to shoot for headshots. There's a specific region of your brain that kind of regulates your autonomic functions. And so I was trying to hit that, and I didn't. The bullet didn't enter my brain at all. Um, it seems to have hit my sinuses and broke up because it was my concealed carry firearm. So I had hollow point rounds in there, which are designed to break up and kind of wreak havoc inside of a body cavity, as opposed to a normal round that is designed to just punch through whatever it hits. So it hit my sinuses, and I think it broke the round up because the some of the bone and bullet fragments exited my face, but... Some of them also rode around the inside of my skull, and that's actually why I'm deaf in my right ear. Some of the bullet fragments are inside my inner ear on the inside of my skull, and then some of them are back by my right carotid artery, but everything else, like, again, it, everything stayed outside of the actual meat of my brain, which is kind of wild and probably why I can still talk and walk and do all the stuff that I do. So... I mean, it's obvious that you've lived to tell the tale. So what happened next after that moment? So it's it's tough. A lot of this I don't remember, but like the first couple of weeks. But from what I've been told, um, so I, I actually I had a two bedroom apartment with a guy that I was that I went to high school with. And so. He actually got home early from work that day. I was in the middle of recording a suicide video to my family instead of a note because I thought that would be more personal. The way that our apartment was set up was his room and bathroom were on one side. The common area with the kitchen and living room were in the middle and then my room and bathroom and all that stuff was on the other side. And 
heard somebody out in the kitchen, so I stopped recording and went and talked to him and acted normal. Uh, after he finished up with dinner and stuff, he went back to his room, and then a couple minutes later, he thought he heard a pot fall out in the kitchen. And he was not in the military, so not used to firearms. Like, I would know that noise. He didn't, but... He thought that something had fallen in the kitchen, so he came back out, saw that nothing was out of place, and knocked on my door. And after I didn't answer, he went in, and I was slumped on my bed with my gun and a bullet hole in my forehead. And while he was on the phone with 911, I woke up and was asking him for help and for water. And that continued all the way into the hospital, actually to the point where I got so combative with the nurses and doctors that they they had to intubate me because they were worried I was going to cause more damage just with my blood pressure being so high and like trying to fight everybody. And so after that, when I did come to it's again, things are foggy for me because I was so out of it. I was also hallucinating very heavily. I don't know how much of that was medications, the head injury, or just kind of Charles Benet syndrome. But it was odd. I could have a conversation like we are right now, but I was seeing places that looked real. Like, if you were sitting across from me, I could talk to you like I am right now, but I wouldn't see you, and I would see these random settings, whatever my mind came up with, and I... it they. I did not comprehend that I was blind for the first little while. Um, You kind of took them a while to get the point across like, hey, dude, that what you're seeing is not real. Obviously, like you can't see me, right? You know, it was. It was touch and go. But yeah, so I woke up completely blind and deaf in one ear after having tried to kill myself. So went from what I thought was the lowest point I could be at to a lower one. But I was so busy that it honestly, it didn't really. It didn't set in until I was actually discharged from the hospital. Once things started to, to I guess, calm down ar- around you at that point, because, it, like you see, there's so much going on. So when you leave the hospital, I guess that's when you get time to stop and think, and that's when, when it hits you, I guess. Yeah, and just realize how I, I really couldn't do anything for myself. Mm. And that was – because I had about a month but between the time that – I had my facial reconstruction, or I guess to take a step back, was in the hospital for 51 days, had a facial reconstruction surgery, and went home for about a month before the VA sent me to blind rehab. And so I, for a month, I was living with my parents and they had to do everything for me. You know, like I, we didn't know blind people, didn't know what blind people could do or anything. So I pretty much sat at home and like listened to podcasts and audiobooks 24/7 for that first month and that that was rough and then also while I was at blind rehab and again I think it was more so just the pace being so slow and like as I'm relearning how to do things now as a blind guy like realizing how painstaking everything was, was like just yeah it it got rough for a, a little while there but not long after I got back from blind rehab, and this ended up being about eight and a half months after I shot myself, I went on a ski trip up to the mountains and was trying to snowboard again and was not successful in any way, shape, or form. But <laughs> getting back up there and doing that again mm. and like realizing that that was possible and I actually got to be with on that trip with some other blind veterans and being around those guys really kind of kicked things in motion for me to to start 
making progress both mentally in terms of just processing what had happened and being more intentionally open about what I had done and kind of accepting what I had done. And then also seeing that like, okay, life is not over. It's going to be a butt kicker here for a while, but like I can, I can figure this stuff out. I just need time and I need to keep practicing. It's interesting. You talk about the the moment when you wake up and you think you've gone from your lowest point to an even lower point. And I think that's a really important point. You know, someone who's blind myself, I get it. You know, I, I was born with a visual impairment. It got worse over time. Uh, it's not completely gone, but it may as well be. Um, and it's interesting. I often talk about when I lost more vision in 2017. I remember talking about it as losing my vision again. Um, you know, so I kind of understand that obviously not going to nothing, but certainly going down to the level where your remaining vision is pretty much useless. And that, what you talk about with how everything takes so much longer. <laughs> it's the first thing. You think to yourself, you know, I used to be able to do all these things and I was so quick at doing them. Now it takes me five hours to do this and four hours to do that. And don't even, yeah. don't even, don't even serve me soup ever again because it'll just never make it to my mouth. You know, all these yeah. things you start to think about. Um and it's so challenging, but you need to, I guess you need to go through that. You need to understand that in order to grow and learn from it, I guess. Learn that you know it's not the end if you lose your sight. Yeah, but, that, you know, I mean, obviously it's natural to struggle with that, but, and it's okay to, to it's okay to struggle with that, mm. but you have to do something about it. You can't just sit in that. Yes. You, you have to make that decision of, you know, in the beginning, it was literally like, okay, I'm going to try and cook scrambled eggs every morning and have my mom watch me so I can like figure out when these bad boys are done. And, but you do, you have to start somewhere. It's kind of the, the crawl, walk, run approach. But you, again, you just, you, first of all, you can't internalize that stuff because if you do, you, I mean, I did. And look where that got me. Well, I was going to ask you that because in some ways, you know, it's not like, because look, there are a lot of people out there, and I talk about this on, on my show a lot, you know, there are a lot of people out there who lose their sight and fall into depression, and in some cases, take their own lives. That's a reality. Yep. That is a reality yeah. for a lot of people who lose their vision. Now, in your case, it's a little bit different, because you lost your vision as a result of trying to kill yourself following this depression you were in. So in some respects, you had already built up an understanding of the depression and what could, what could trigger you, essentially, or what could, could trigger that depression further. Yeah, but I still... So obviously, because I wasn't dealing with it in a healthy manner before I shot myself, that was something that I had to learn once I was blind and was struggling. Yeah. You know, I've... I, I've gone to therapy at least once a week for the past five years, you know, and that's been constant work. And I've been through other periods where I've been in that very low place. But again, making that point to externalize what I'm feeling to someone and, you know, it doesn't have to be a therapist. I'm fortunate enough to have my veterans benefits so I can get therapy through the VA. Mm. Not everyone has that, but it needs to be, you have to decide that, you're going to talk to someone, whether it's a family member or someone that you work with who you 
trust that you can talk to and can be completely open with because externalizing it like that not only helps you process it, but I think so I it's cathartic in a sense when you do talk about it and it's going to suck and it's very uncomfortable <laughs> when, you know, early on, I, I used to not be able to talk about even stuff that happened with my ex-wife, much less the suicide attempt. I would get sweaty. Uh, I would have bad dreams about it, whatever, kind of all the, all the things you'd expect, but it does get better over time. But like anything else, it's work and you owe it to yourself and those around you to put in that work because what, I mean, I, we're coming back to it again. Life is not over after this stuff. It's like anything else. If it's like taking up a new skill, it's a little harder, <laughs> but you are, you, if you put in the time and you put in the effort, you will figure it out. It will become your new baseline, just like for you having to essentially go through the process of your vision loss again after having your your vision degrade to a point where it's basically useless mm. you you figure it out but again you had to make that conscious decision to do that you could have just sat in your woes oh listen i 100 I, I mean i i had, yeah. had friends who did it i had friends who just would sit and complain and and worry and and get angry about it and I went through all of that as well. I went through all of those emotions. I remember, you know, being a radio broadcaster, I would go into soundproof studios and scream. Uh, <laughs> I, that's one huge benefit of a radio studio because no one else can hear you. You just, you know, if yeah. anyone looked through the glass, they wouldn't know what the hell was going on. But I was screaming my head off because I was so frustrated. But what I would say to myself was, I'll allow myself 30 minutes a day of this, 30 minutes a day to externalize that rage in that setting, in that space. I didn't use 30 minutes. I didn't stop watch it, but I did allow myself because I thought that was important. And I would sometimes give that advice to friends of mine as well. I'd say, just allow yourself a bit of that rage because you have to. Otherwise, it comes out in ways you don't want it to come out. Yes, it, because it will come out. And that that pity party is totally normal and acceptable, but... Yeah, you got to be like, okay, it's time to be a big boy again. Yeah, and <laughs> go well, back. And, to- and you know, we were going to talk about your coding, but you know, for me, it was it was just learning, you know, JAWS on the computer, learning how to use systems. Because look, if I didn't, the way I saw it was, if I didn't do this, I didn't have a job anymore. I was out of work. That was it. It was gone. And I would be that guy. I'd be I'd, I'd be sitting at home, and I wouldn't be able to do anything anymore. And that would have been my choice. I wouldn't have felt that way at the time, but it would have been my choice. I, I would have been the one doing that to myself. So I had to, like you, say, do you know what? I have to pick myself up. I've got to try and move on from this. And, you know, I was fortunate. I had a lot of friends around me, even though that's the case, and you know this yourself, I'm sure. You could have a million yeah. people around you. Sometimes it doesn't make any difference. You know, you have to pick yourself up, and you've got to, you've got to try and do it yourself. And, and you know, those, those assistants whether it's therapy or friendship or whatever can help but you know ultimately you can get all the help in the world you, you sometimes just have to help yourself there, there's a difference between sitting in it and working through it mm. you know you have to yeah you have you have to choose to go through it not my kind of process i guess was similar to yours in a sense you know when i first got home from blind rehab I had the very basic skills of how to do everything. And one of the things that I did was I made myself start using my computer every day. So I researched how to 
make a blog so that I had to use the internet and I started using, doing something on that blog every day so that I would get better at the computer. And that got me to the point where I could go back to college. And in today's world, you really do have to have those tech skills, but it doesn't, that doesn't have to be where you start. But I do think it's a, a good place to start if you're adjusting to, to vision loss. Coding. Now, how did you get to the coding part? Because that's, I'd love to learn to code. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm going to learn from you here. Okay. Yeah. And I've actually, I've written two short little articles on what I use for other blind people to use. So I can send those to you after this. Please. But I guess it all came from the fact of like wanting to be part of the solution because I was frustrated not having access to things. And once I found out that it was something I could have an effect on, I started researching it. And so I guess. With programming, there there's a lot when you're first getting started. Obviously, there's a big learning curve even with the tools that you have to use. But the big thing you have to think about is what what you want to make, what kind of apps or software you want to make. And I knew a lot of blind people use iPhones and Apple products. So I was like, okay, I'll start there. And so I started the programming language that I use is Swift. And I started Googling for tutorials online on how to write that language and found this website that's completely accessible called hackingwithswift.com. The guy who makes it is sighted and has no disabilities. He's just become aware of accessibility over the course of his own career. And so he makes everything or everything on his site accessible and these tutorials that I used are completely free, but there he has a 100-day-long course that's project-based and kind of teaches you the basics of the language as you go. And so I went along with that course and then actually kind of I got the idea for my first app from one of the projects in that course. You know, I thought of a way that I could make it more interesting and more accessible. And so that was kind of my, my test run to make sure that as a totally blind dude who had never coded before when I could see, like, is this doable to do completely on my own? And I found out that it is. So I started my own company. And like I said, my first app came out about six months ago. That's so, amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so tell us about the app, because of course it did win that award. Uh, from AppleViz, which is just fantastic. So tell us about Xanagrams. Yeah, so everything that I make is looks and functions normally for people who don't have disabilities, but they're also accessible for people from our community, people with auditory impairments, and even people with motor impairments. So, you know, if you are quadriplegic, you can use Xanagrams with your voice to play, which is really not common, but something that I'm trying to make more mainstream in the industry, which is the the goal if I can grow my company over time. It'd be really neat to be able to do that. But Xanagrams itself is a word puzzle game and it's centered around the idea of anagrams, so hence the, the the name. But if if you aren't familiar with anagrams, a single anagram is typically you get some sort of context clue as to what a a one word answer would be. So it might be the hair equivalent or a a bird's equivalent of hair and the answer might be feather. And then, you know, you'd have a bunch of scrambled letters and you would try and guess what the word is. But in Xanagrams, 
every puzzle that you play has six anagrams in it and you get those so you get six clues and then at the end of each clue it tells you how many letters are apply or how many letters are in the answer to each clue and then along the bottom section of the screen every one of those six answers has been broken up into groups of two and three letter groups or into groups of two and three letters and so you you push these different letter groups these different buttons to add them to your current spelling and the game automatically detects when you've spelled one of the answers right and then those buttons are completely hidden from voiceover or if you can see they're visually like they're visually crossed out and you use every one of those buttons once to solve each puzzle so you can use the process of elimination to work through the puzzles and it's it's interesting because it mixes trivia with spelling so if spelling is not your your strong (laughs) suit you can at least get a basis and then because those those letters are split up into groups at and you know they are all mixed together but if you're not the best speller you at least get a chance you're like okay i know the first two letters of feather are f-e and there might be a letter group that's F-E-A, and you're like, okay, I'll push that one. Yeah. And so it helps kind of alleviate a little bit of the barrier posed by not being great at spelling, too. But they are, they're hard. They're, and they're, there's a mix of themed and unthemed puzzle packs. So anywhere from outer space to ancient history to technology and hobbies, and then some of the unthemed puzzle packs are extremely difficult because there's no none of the anagrams in those packs have any relation to each other whereas if you play through an outer space puzzle every six or every one of those six anagrams is going to be something related to space so you you at least have a starting point and that's so when you download the anagrams the first time you get a one puzzle pack that's unthemed and one that's themed. So each pack has 10 puzzles in it. Each puzzle has 10 anagrams in it. So there's you get 120 of those anagrams for free. And the first time that you play through each puzzle, you play this exact same version that everyone else on Earth has played of that puzzle. And the game scores you. And so there's there's leaderboards that you can get your scores posted on and you can compete against friends. And then, you know, if if you decide, you know, two months from now you want to come back and play a puzzle that you've already beat, the next time that you play it, everything will be randomized. So it'll be the same clues, but all of the letter groups are scrambled up differently. And so you get a different experience every time. And there's a ton of replayability. And like I said, you can enjoy it alongside anyone else because it's accessible to everyone well that's the best bit right i mean sometimes there's yeah. these multiplayer games for blind people that are you know that's great that, that's brilliant but it does restrict you because you know what if you want to play with family or friends who are not blind and that's the thing right so you want some choices and and that's that's just amazing that's absolutely great and of course it won game of the year from apple viz and you've been noted on pocket gamer as well i mean it must be great to get that kind of recognition were you surprised when you you were told about that very (laughs) yeah because a lot i mean i I think all the other games that were nominated for for game of the year on apple viz were made by sided developers and so there are a lot visually like what xanagrams does look and function normally i would imagine it's probably plain compared to something that someone you can see would make 
So I, I don't know. It was just, it, it was kind of re reassuring that I'm on the right path with this because it is hard to get feedback <laughs> with, yeah. with uh, an app like that. You know, it's not, not very many people leave ratings and reviews. And really that's the only metric that I have to go off of. What's the long-term plan? You mentioned the company, but what about other apps and other development? Have you got ideas on, on what kind of area you want to focus on? Is it more games? Do you have other ideas? So I'm actually, I, I had started some other game projects and then recently kind of made a shift. I've put those on the back burner to work on a more utilitarian app because there's a bigger market for that. Mm. And again, it'll be totally accessible, but I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, and have been doing that for the past three years. And all of the gyms that I go to use digital software for signing in and managing all of their clients and things like that. Um, but I am making basically like a a business tool for for those companies and gyms like that right now to see again if I can larger market for that if I can get funding coming in through something like that I can use profits to reinvest into making things that are unique experience for for blind people too. That's yeah, that's excellent. Um, so how are you doing today? How are you when you when you sort of stop for a minute and I'm sure you don't do it very often but if you do stop for a minute and just think about where you are and where you've been how how are you doing mentally mm. it's still a work in progress i mean there's it the the depression still comes and goes i was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and that has all just been brought on by the head injuries and so i do i I go through those those periods sometimes, but I I deal with them in a healthy manner now. Um, I'm I'm sober. Obviously, it plays a big part in that. But so does going to to therapy. And while I do, I'm on a low dose of an antidepressant and some sleep medications because I've also been diagnosed with insomnia, which is pretty common amongst blind people. But yeah. I'm very very physically active, and that goes a long way for me. Just. I, I always have been, but making sure that I, I keep up with that stuff in the the therapy are kind of the two big factors to to staying on a relatively smooth course for me. And so I'm I'm in a good spot right now. It's it feels good to like I said to to have some assurance that people are getting something out of something that I'm making and that I'm giving something back to the community, which is really cool. And I'm kind of on a I, I guess since I've been blind, I'm probably on a on a high right now. So it, it feels really good. Well, I don't know if you've had your official, official induction into the blind community, but hello, welcome. Uh, we'll send your badge. <laughs> and, uh... Oh, thanks. <laughs> we can feel each other's faces now. And, <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Feel my face, I'll send you a badge with Braille on it and a white cane. And that's you. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the dog can also be sent, but not in the post for obvious reasons. Yeah, okay. Um, but seriously... Uh, Thank you so much for being so open and honest and sharing your story. I know it will have a massive impact on a lot of people. And what I mean by that is, especially in our program, there are a lot of people who listen to this show who ask me regularly to talk more about our personal experiences of, of going through vision loss or whatever it may be related to vision and our experiences and our challenges. And that's why I, even though it's a tech show, I, I do like to talk about these things because these are our lives. This is what we deal with every day. And if we don't acknowledge the, the bad as well as the good, I think we do a disservice to, to yeah. our community. 
And it, it's very real. And also I've, I, I think hearing about other people kind of getting past that stuff and obviously it's not like it goes away forever. It will kind of rear its ugly head sometimes, but not only that, but seeing what people are doing despite their vision loss also, you know, that, that might give someone else like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go try skiing or I'm going to try coding or whatever. And just then, you know, it's possible. People will be listening to this interview right now. They'll be off to that website. They'll be checking this out. (laughs) I know it right now. They'll also be downloading Xanagrams, which I'll be doing after the show. Um, Because I'm not much of a game player. I must admit, I've I've never really bothered with games on my phone or anything, but kind of want to get into something. And I don't, you know, it's it's always the same. It's like, oh, what's with friends? Well, how accessible is that? And you go back and forward and all these things. But, you know, Xanagrams, it's absolutely going to work. And I think you're going to get a lot of support from the community from from what you've said here today. And, you know, the, the great thing is you've you've got all of us now. So, you know, if ever you're having a bad day, just reach out. All right. Yeah, thanks, man. And thanks for just being willing to, to have that discussion. Oh, anytime, Zach. Anytime. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. You're always welcome. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.